Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. It is a joy and a privilege to be with you this morning. And I am, I remember a few years ago, I don't remember exactly how long ago it was, and uh, Dad and I were eating at this place in Calhoun County, Alabama called Sneaky Pete's. And he loves, one of the things that he loves is hot dogs. And he is also a donut connoisseur, and he'll tell you that real quick, that he knows donuts. And I will give him credit to the donuts, because he does know those pretty well. And I asked him at that point in time, as we were having some pretty serious theological conversations, I said, Dad, did you ever think in a million years, the way our past has been together, that we would have these kind of conversations? And he said, no, son, I really didn't. And so it is truly a picture of God's grace that I'm here with you this morning and that we have a good relationship now as it has ever been. Um, So I'm just really thankful to the Lord that that his grace is more than what we ever need. So I'm grateful to be here this morning. Um, Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started, okay? Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word, for the power that it contains. And I just ask, Father, that for those this morning that are brokenhearted about their relationships with their fathers, that you would just dispense on them an extra measure of grace today. Would you remind them that despite of that relationship, that your love is a love that can surpass any kind of trial, struggle, um, frustration, any kind of tragedy that it has struck in their life? Would you remind them this morning of how great and wonderful your grace through Jesus Christ is? Would you remind them this morning that that grace is all that they need? But Lord, I also ask that you would just restore some relationships this morning that may have been separated for years for whatever reason, but you would bring them back today because you are a God who restores the brokenhearted You are a God that gives those who have no family a family. And we thank you for that. In your name that we pray, amen. A couple of things. Um, Jason, if you would like, if you'd get me your address before you leave today, I'm going to send you a real baseball cap, okay? I'm going to send you a New York Mets baseball cap, okay? let's, Let's get that straight real quick. I believe that there are two groups of the non-elect. They are either uh, Atlanta Braves fans or Auburn Tiger fans. But I also appreciate the fact that when you, what's your name? I appreciate the fact that when you jumped over Jacob like that, that you gave a tribute to Najee Harris when he made that awesome play and he jumped over that guy, I think it was in the Notre Dame game. I really do appreciate that. So appreciate your props to the Alabama Crimson Tide football team. We all know that Nick Saban's the best coach in the college football world, Roll Tide. Okay. (laughs) Now on to some serious business. Um, 
Just a couple of things that you need to know about me. I think the last time that I preached here about 10 years ago, I shared this with you. It's worth repeating again. Number one, there's a reason that God called me to preach. Two reasons why. One is that I cannot lead the singing. You don't want me doing that. I can, I'll start singing my own song, my own beat. I'll go off rhythm. I can't clap and sing at the same time. So don't, don't, please don't ever ask me to do that. And number two, I have a tendency to fall asleep in church. So if, Brother Dennis, when I visited your church and if I dozed off a few times, I'm sorry. I've done it during some of the most famous preachers in the world, sermons. It's not you, it's me, I promise, okay? Um, but just know this before we get started. I love God's church. I love his people. I love his word. And there's only one way that this world is going to truly be transformed today, and it's through his church, through his word. That's it. That's the only way this world is going to be changed. Through the, the heartaches I've had, um, through the, the burned bridges I've had over the years by being, had damage done to me by church people. Because let's face it, in a room this size, I'm sure we could go around and say that there's been times where the church has done um, some pretty bad damage to us. But let's remember one thing. Jesus died for his church, a group of sinners that desperately need him. And his church, as flawed as we are, is still God's people. And we cannot give up on it. Um, secondly, his word is the only truth. There are two things that last forever on this planet. The souls of men and the word of God. And you need to determine today, which one, what are you going to invest your time and your life in? Okay, you need to determine that. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. You don't have to be a seminary student to do that. You don't have to be anything other than a faithful believer who is dedicated to the truth of the scripture. So there's a sermon before the sermon. Um, but real quickly, I want to ask you, ask it, just see a raise of hands. When we sing that song, O come thou fount, here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. How many of you don't understand or know why that word Ebenezer was placed in that song? Let me just see a raise of hands. All right, I'm going to use this as a teaching moment, okay? Because I want you to understand that we're not just singing words to sing them. We're not singing these words just to make ourselves feel good before we get to the sermon. They have a meaning, okay? What about that word fetter? Does anybody, how many of you don't know what that word fetter means? Okay, so first of all, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, here's what the Old Testament tells us. It says, Afterward, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, explaining the Lord has helped us to this point. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. The Lord's hand was against the Philistines all of Samuel's life. So we sing that song, Here I raise mine, Ebenezer, hither by my help I'm come. Because an Ebenezer, not Ebenezer Scrooge, because we think of Ebenezer Scrooge, we think of that guy that was a tightwad who didn't want to share his blessing with all the other people in the world that needed um, some help. But an Ebenezer was a rock of testimony of describing how God helps his people. 
And there's not a day, a time, or an age where God is not unable to help his people. And let's look at that second word, fetter. It refers to a chain. And that line that we sing, bind my wandering heart to thee like a fetter. Because here's the reality. When you're a sinful man like myself or a sinful woman, as sweet as Sandra Jones is, and you got to be sweet to be married to a Jones, that's a proven fact. She is still a sinful woman whose heart tends to wander. And she needs something like God's grace to bind that wandering heart to him so that she won't wander. That's why we sing like a Ebenezer. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come. Bind my heart like a fetter. My wandering heart. We all have a wandering heart. But I want to remind you this morning as we look into the book of Isaiah in chapter 37. This morning in Isaiah chapter 37. And we're going to be looking briefly this morning at verses 14 through 38. That we have a God that we can rely on with bold assurance. With bold assurance. Because listen, when you look at the news, you know, we were at the Southern Baptist Convention this week. And there were some times where it was not very encouraging, but there were other times that it was. And that's just Baptist life. That's just Baptist life. You look at the 400 years of the existence of Baptist, and in particular the last 175 of the Southern Baptist Convention, every generation, every year, um, there comes some kind of controversy that arises, and we just have to figure out how to work it out. That's just like God's people. We always have these issues. We have to figure out how to work it out. So how can we rely on God with bold assurance? That's the key word, bold assurance. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 4, um, verses 14 through 16, when the writer of Hebrews says that we can approach his throne boldly with a time of need, and he will help us. So let's look at chapter 37, verse 14. And I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and here's what the writer Isaiah says. Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hands and read it. Then he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens... And the earth, listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear all the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated all these countries and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made from wood and stone by human hands. So they have destroyed them. Now, Lord our God, save us from his power, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah, the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Because you have prayed to me about King Sennacherib of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises you and scorns you, daughter Jerusalem, shakes her head behind your back. 
Who is it you have mocked and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. You have mocked the Lord through your servants. You have said with my many chariots. I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I cut down its tallest cedars, its choice cypress trees. I came to its distant heights, its densest forests. I dug wells and drank water in foreign lands. I dried up all the streams of Egypt with the soles of my feet. Have you not heard? I designed it long ago. I planned it in days gone by. I have now brought it to pass, and you have crushed fortified cities into piles of rubble. Their inhabitants have become powerless, dismayed, and ashamed. They are the plants of the tender grass, grass on the rooftops, blasted by the east winds. But I know you're sitting down, you're going out, you're coming in, and you're raging against me. Because you're raging against me and your arrogance have reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you go back to the way you came. Isn't that a word of encouragement to, this, to us this morning? That despite of how bleak things may look, listen, you know, one of the things that I do that I love that I get to do and I wake up every morning thinking to myself, man, I get to do this and I get paid to do it, is I get paid to basically read history books and figure out stuff that try to make my history lessons in class relevant that only me and about 50 other people on the planet care about. So one of the things that I read a few years ago as I was teaching some lessons on Andrew Jackson is that in the election of 1828 between Andrew Jackson and John Quincy Adams, that was one of the most watershed elections in our country's history. Now granted, every year people say, or every election term, people say, well, this is the most watershed moment. They say it every election cycle, every presidential election since the founding of our country, it has been argued that same point. But one of the reasons 1828 was so important is there is a little thing that developed in that political cycle called mudslinging. Now, Andrew Jackson's camp would come to John Quincy Adams' camp and say that when John Quincy Adams was the ambassador to Russia, um, they got him this servant girl and she... He had her, his way with her in the secret chamber. Now, the, the Quincy Adams camp would come back and say that Andrew Jackson's mother was um, a prostitute in England, and the British soldiers brought her over. The Andrew Jackson was said about him that his wife, Rachel, that Andrew Jackson was a bigamist because he did not properly divorce his wife, or divorce, Rachel did not properly divorce her husband, and it's all a cloud of just shadiness and how Andrew Jackson came to be married to Rachel Donaldson. Now, there's a whole lot more to that story, but this is the, the news that, or the commentary that one author gave with that particular scenario. He said that most of the things that were said about John Quincy Adams were false, and most of the things that were said about Andrew Jackson were true. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that as believers in Jesus Christ, one of the things we have to have confidence in is that when it comes to situations that we don't know how to understand or what's been going on, we don't have to orchestrate stuff. 
We don't have to get with this secret group over here and try to plan and dictate and discover what can we do to muster up the end result that we want. Because if we truly believe that the scripture teaches that God is a sovereign God who rules the universe, who has his hand on the entire world, who according to Psalm 115 verse 3, that he sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. If we've seen in Isaiah chapter 6 that he still sits on the throne and he always will sit on the throne and there is nothing that escapes his sight, we don't have to operate like the world does. We do not have to operate in secrecy and shrouded backroom deals. You know, just backroom deals are one thing that have always interested me to see how they come about in United States history, for example, the election of 1877, known as the Great Compromise between Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel J. Tilden. Nobody got the Electoral College vote that year, just like in 1828, just like in 2016, just like in 2000, just like in uh, the election of Grover Cleveland and Benjamin Harrison. Nobody did. So here's what the Republican Party did to the Democrats that year. They said, listen, if y'all get out, they'll give us the presidency, we'll get out the South, and Reconstruction will end. And that's how Rutherford B. Hayes came to have the presidency in that election. As believers, if we really believe this book, and I'll show you why in just a minute, we don't have to do that. Because we have a Father in heaven who rules the world. Reminds me of this old Tears for Fears song. Everybody wants to rule the world. Everybody. But if we have a relationship with the Holy God, we can rely on him with bold assurance. So notice number one in verses 14 through 20 that we can do this with brokenness. Notice in verse 14, it says, Hezekiah took his letter from the messenger's hands, read it, then went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord and then... Hezekiah prayed. He was broken. He didn't know what else to do except turn to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He didn't know what else to do except to go to the Lord in prayer and surrender himself to the one who controlled and ruled the world. And if you notice all of these things that he says in verse 17, for example, he says, Listen closely, Lord, and hear. There are a series of five commands that Hezekiah gives to the Lord in this text. He says, listen closely, hear, open your eyes, see all, and hear all the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated all these countries and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made from wood and stone through human hands. I want you to notice that. There is something that was under attack in Hezekiah's brokenness, and he didn't have to bring it to God's attention. God sees all things. He hears all things. He knows all things. He didn't have to do that. But Hezekiah verbally brought it to the Lord's attention that your character is being mocked, your name is being trampled on, and these Assyrians think they can get away with it. These Assyrians are doing something that nobody should be able to get away with, and it's to attack your character. 
So in brokenness, Hezekiah goes to the throne room, he goes to the temple, and he lays it all before the Father. Listen, you must do something before the world thinks you are a fool and can't do anything. It reminds me of that story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18. When you've got the 450 prophets of Baal and you've got Elijah. And he says to the 450 prophets, the one whose God rains down fire, he is God. He is God. And what happens? He prays and fire comes down and destroys everything. Now notice also why Hezekiah is broken. He says in verse 20, Now, Lord, our God, save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, God, are God alone. That all the kingdoms may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. Because there was something at stake here with the Assyrians in Sennacherib. Hezekiah was broken. He was burdened. He was broken that the Lord's name would not be trampled on. There is something greater in our country than whether or not the Democrats are in total control or whether or not the Republicans are total in control. What is at stake here is how we handle those that we disagree with and whether or not they can tell that we are true citizens of the true kingdom. So if we really believe that there is a God in heaven who rules and reigns, then we should be able to rely on him with bold assurance through brokenness. Now, brokenness is something that we generally don't like to talk about because Americans, we are a very prideful people. You know, one of the things that also um, got popularized during Jackson's election and later on, particularly during the election of William Henry Harrison, if you've not had a history lesson, by the way, for in a while, I'm sorry, that's what you get when you have a history teacher come and preach to you. But William Henry Harrison had one of those mentalities and, and tried to advocate, which really wasn't that true, that he was a man, a self-made man. That he, despite all the obstacles, overcame and became a successful general during the Battle of uh, Tippecanoe and Tyler too. But here's the thing. There's more at stake than whether or not self-made people rise to the top. There's more at stake of whether or not Democrats or Republicans win an election. What's at stake for the believer is when we interact with those that we disagree with that we can't understand, is do we understand that the most important thing that is at stake is that God and God alone is the ruler of the world and how we interact and how we behave ourselves or not behave ourselves really shows what we really believe. So brokenness, that's the first thing. Second thing that we see is promise. We can rely on God with bold assurance through his promise. If you notice in verse 29, Hezekiah, the Lord tells Hezekiah, because you're raging against me and your arrogance have reached my ears. Now he's referring to the king of Assyria. He says, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you go back the way you came. And then if you look down to verse 
35, verse 34, it says, He will go back the way he came, and he will not enter this city. This is the Lord's declaration. If the Lord declares it, it will happen. If the Lord says it, it will come to pass. If the Lord says it, you can bank on it. If the Lord says it will be so, you can trust it. And here's the reason why. Because he says in verse 35, I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Now here's something that's at stake with if Sennacherib and Assyria can come in and invade Jerusalem and destroy Jerusalem and wipe them out because when Sennacherib went in and those other nations and those other places, they completely obliterated them, wiped them out. And there's something at stake in this context. And it's in this phrase, I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. Now in 1 Samuel, what did the Lord promise Samuel? He said there would always be a descendant of David on the throne. What did the Lord promise Abraham in Genesis chapter 17? He said that you will have a seed and that seed will come and you will be the father of many nations and you will be as many as the sand on the seashore and as many as the stars in the sky. And what did we see in as early as far back as Genesis chapter 3 verses 15 and 17? That there would be a serpent who would come that even though Adam and Eve sinned, Eve would have a son and she would bruise the serpent's head with his heel. So there was something at stake if God did not intervene in this scenario. It was the testimony of all those years back in Genesis 3. It was the testimony of all those years before back in 1 Samuel chapter 3 um, and chapter 7. It was all those testimonies and promises that God made to the people of Israel that you will be a people that will stretch out and you will be a people that will never be obliterated and you will always have someone on my throne. So when he says, I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David, it was a promise because God never breaks his promises. Never. You read from Genesis to Revelation and you will find that we can unequivocally say that God is not a liar, that God's word is true, and he never, ever breaks his promise. And I don't know about you this morning, but I'm so glad. I'm so, so glad that we serve a God in heaven who is absolutely true. His word is true. He never lies. He never deceives his people. And we can trust him with everything that we got. Listen, I've only been married 11 years. I'm sure that there are people that have been married a lot longer than I have. As much as I love my sweet and precious wife, and I'm so grateful to God that he gave her to me. She knows all the, the good, the bad, the ugly. She knows all my deep, dark, dirty secrets. And as much as she has never let me down, never disappointed me, if we're married 50 years, as long as some of y'all have been married, I'm sure there will be a day when she disappoints me and I disappoint her, that we serve a Savior, we serve a Father who will never disappoint his children.
Notice lastly that we can rely on God with bold assurance through victory. Through victory. Some of us need a victory this morning. Some of us are struggling this morning and we desperately need a victory. Notice in verse 36, and this is why this particular text is one of my favorite in the book of Isaiah in all 66 chapters. I preached sermons in Isaiah over the years. I probably preached 20 or 30 sermons over the years on Isaiah, but this is the first time I've ever preached this text. And I love this text. And so every time I read this text and think about this text, I just get some chills down my spine when I think about it. And if you look in verse 36, it says, Then, because remember what he says in verse 35, I will defend this city, I will rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck down. Not 85 soldiers, not 185 soldiers, but it says that he struck down one angel, one angel struck down 185,000 soldiers. In the camp of the Assyrians, and when the people got up this morning, there were all the dead bodies. That must have been a sight to see. And then it says in verse 37, so the king of Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp, left. He returned home, lived in Nineveh. One day while he was worshiping the temple of his god, Nishrach, his sons, Adramalek, I'm sure I mispronounced that, and Sharazer struck him down with the sword and escaped to the land of Ararat. Then his son, Esar Haddon, became king in his place. And what did God tell say what happened to Sennacherib. He would hear a rumor. He would go back to his land. And he was in the temple. And I think the reason that Isaiah makes this point plain is that he was in the temple of his God in the act of worship. And Sennacherib is killed. And think about it this way. We see in this text in Isaiah 37 that there were 185,000 soldiers wiped out with a single angel. Now think about it for a minute. You talk about victory. If God can destroy 185,000 soldiers in one single swoop, don't you think he can raise up 185,000 men in one single swoop? We have a text like that, don't we? Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, where Ezekiel is there and he is seeing all of these bones. And then all of a sudden, he sees that the, the meat on them is starting to form on the bones. The bones are starting to come up like skeletons. All 206 bones are coming together. But listen, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to remind you this morning. You may have 135,000 people that you are going up against, and they may all be defeated. They may all be wiped out. But if your heart is not right with the living and true God, if your sins have not been washed away, then it is completely useless for you to be delivered by 185,000. Because when you meet the one that can, according to Jesus, can kill the soul and cast you into a lake of fire, it's pointless. I'd rather be destroyed by 185,000 soldiers and be right with God and stand before him, the living and true God, 
than be saved from them and meet my maker not being right. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we sang in that song this morning, the first song that we sang, I don't remember the exact words, but it was basically a quote from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. When it says that we were called out of darkness and into his marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of him. It says in 1 Peter 2.10, You once were not a people, but now you are a people. You once were, had not received mercy. You know, it reminds me of this old Puritan writer named Richard Sibbs. I read this book a while back called The Bruised Reed. And he made a statement. There's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. More mercy in Christ than sin in us. More mercy in Christ than what any time than what 185,000 soldiers could do to us. And now we sing a song. My sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. There's another song that we sing sometimes. I don't know if y'all have sang it, but I love it. It's called, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. You'd rather be destroyed by 185,000 soldiers. You would rather be than never have received that great mercy that is more than our sins could ever be. I don't know about you this morning, but if it wasn't for the mercy and grace of God, I would not be where I am today. If it was not for the mercy and grace of God, I would not be able to wake up every morning thinking, I get to do what I do in the name of a risen Savior who has taken away all my sins. I get to go and try to, even though I can't really exactly say what I want to say to my students that are in one of the poorest counties in Alabama. And I can't go and directly say certain things to them, but I know that I'm there for a reason. I'm there for a reason because they desperately need Jesus. They desperately need a relationship with Jesus. Those kids in those classrooms that I've worked with They desperately need to have that mercy that is greater than all their sins. Just like I do and just like you do. So have you discovered how great that mercy is? How great it is to have your sins forgiven and cleansed despite of the fact that if you were rescued from 185,000 but if your sins were not forgiven and cleansed, it would be pointless. That's my prayer for you this morning as we go into our time of invitation. I don't know what you normally do. But I just know one thing. If you've not discovered that your mercy, that your relationship and your sinfulness is never so great. And I heard another quote the other day. It said something along the lines of, my sins aren't so many that Christ's mercy cannot overcome. But then it also said, my problems are not so small that God's grace will not overcome. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? And Father, I just pray for this wonderful church, this wonderful picture of your grace. I thank you for Transformation Church here in Richmond, Virginia. Even though I come from a different cultural context than what Richmond, Virginia is, it is the same gospel, the same word, the same 
desperation that we need and brokenness that we need to rely on you with bold assurance through all of our struggles, pains, and trials. As that old song that we sing sometimes, through many dangers, toils, and trials. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Would you help my brothers and sisters this morning rediscover the power of that mercy and that grace. In Jesus' name that we pray. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.